from Relay FM. This is Connected, episode 126. Today's show is brought to you by Smile, Blue Apron, and Squarespace. My name is Mike Hurley. I'm joined by Stephen Hackett. Hello, Stephen Hackett. Hello, Michael Hurley. And Federico Vitici is back, everybody. Hola, guys. Oh, because you were in Spain, right? Yes. Did you say adios to people with a, sm- with a twinkle in your eye? I, I only knew, like, uh, two words, were hola and adios and uh, uh, everything else I tried to uh, improvise a combination of English and, and Spanish but it wasn't really Spanish it was like Italian with uh, the letter S appended to the end of some words <laughs> um, so it, it mostly went okay yeah because uh, they're, they're relatively close right y- the yes but the 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 Catalan language that you know the dialect yeah. of Barcelona it, it's actually different from the mainland mm-hmm. you know Spanish uh, so it, sometimes it worked other times it didn't uh, but it was amazing uh, great city beautiful place I want to go back yeah I was there we might be going back again this year for um, the music festival I went to last year I think it's called Primavera so we might mm. be going to Barcelona again for that now what when is it it's like early June. It's like a weekend mm. in early June. I think it's before, the first weekend of June. Ah, before WWDC, huh? It's before WWDC, yep. Oh, nice. Inter- mm. Interesting. Mm. Mm. Well, thank you. Yeah, anything. Yeah. Stephen. Yes. Follow us up, please. I will. So when Federico was gone, I I took the reins to talk about the Mac Mini with uh, with you, Mike, and our he guest. brought Dan Moran in, and they 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 uh, tag teamed and yeah. took me down. We just Mac Mini it up. I thought it was John Syracuse up last week, but <laughs> <laughs> now now that you mention it, 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 it makes sense. Oh, it never gets old that joke. I love it so much. <laughs> makes sense. Makes sense. <laughs> so it turns out that I have. Um, accidentally, but I will, I will take the mantle upon my shoulders as the official, I'm going to go with Mac mini, uh, spokesperson. I think the show notes originally said profit, but that didn't feel quite right because of what's his name, who AOL hired, but the, uh, the official Mac mini spokesperson, the, the, the leader of the Mac mini people, if you will. So we got a bunch of feedback. I want to share two pieces of it. Uh, listener John wrote in uh, praising the Mac Mini as a good family computer since it's small and quiet and you know really budget-friendly that you can get one cheaper than any other Mac. And what I was struck by this is that this is the same reason the Mac Mini existed in the first place, right? That it was small and budget-friendly and you could switch to from a PC uh, to a Mac Mini pretty easily. And then I remembered that years ago, probably on the prompt, uh, so Federico, when we started the show, you had an iMac, and Did you I? don't have that iMac anymore, right? Or is it? It's using holding a door open or something at your house. Yeah, I think it's a. Uh, it's used to hold. Um, my mom throws uh, t-shirts on top of it in my bedroom at my parents' place. Oh yeah, yeah. like a drying rack. Yes, yeah. I don't Perfect. know if I mentioned this last time, but I've donated that my Mac Mini to a family member who didn't have a computer. Oh, so, did you? Yeah, so it's it's got a new life. Gotcha. That that's the Mac Mini that really started on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe Federico, we told you years ago just to buy a Mac Mini because oh, you know you? at the time mm-hmm. at the time you needed something to put iOS betas on. Of course, the world has changed, and uh, you only need a Mac now for recording. But it's just like just another use case for this little computer that if someone really doesn't need a Mac full time, or they're switching, or they want something cheap, or like like Mike said, like someone who doesn't have a computer. The Mac Mini is a great starting place, and without it, 
the starting place for the the Mac line is what like the thousand dollar MacBook MacBook Air or whatever the cheapest iMac is, uh, maybe twelve or fourteen hundred bucks. Maybe someone in the chat room can tell me how much the cheapest iMac is. Should um, buy an iPad. Well, I mean, if you but if you need a Mac, if you if you want, I'm mostly trolling you. I know. <laughs> uh, listener Sebastian uh, wrote in with some crazy bath salt ideas. Wouldn't a stackable modular Mac Mini be cool? Uh, base unit, external GPU, etc. Uh, these could be the same, you know, shape and look, and you basically use like you build your Mac Mini by stacking components on top of each other. Yeah, it would be super cool, but it's never going to happen, mm-hmm. right? Because if the if the Mac Mini does get updated, and I think that you know whatever, if it does get updated, I don't see a big form factor change coming. I wrote this thing years ago. I linked to it in my Mac Mini piece on Mac Stories about this idea of you know a Mac Mini basically being as small as possible and without a traditional hard drive and without a super drive you can make the thing like the size of the apple tv and they you know they haven't done that the the form factor has been the same for a long time i don't see them putting the r&d money into creating a new form factor let alone some sort of like new interconnect system that Mm. like that would have to apply to a bunch of macs that's one reason i think the touch bar is going to end up everywhere that you make that investment so you can spread it across the line like it's a cool idea and i think sebastian is onto something like the Mac Mini as a modular system is kind of what it used to be. Where you could upgrade stuff, but um, I think the days of Apple making any computer like that are gone. Right? It died with the cheese grater Mac yep. Pro. I mean, I also see that argument. Like, I can see where he's coming from. Of then, like, it could also replace a more powerful machine. You know, it could in theory replace a Mac Pro if you just build it out that way. Right? Like, I can see why you would get to that thinking, but that's in a world in which the Mac is more important than it is now, right? Like, to put that insane amount of R&D it would take to develop a new system like this that works reliably, that would be very, very expensive. And I don't know if Apple would truly recoup the cost on that product in 2017, to be honest. Uh, I, I, I totally agree. You're totally right. So it would be cool. Like It would be nice. Like, there, there was this conversation years ago about, like, the XMAC, like a sort of a mini tower that you mm-hmm. could put, like, one or two... GPUs in like kind of a, a modular system. And I just think Apple's past that, and it, it makes me sad. I wish there was something like that, but uh, I don't think that like external modules are the answer. And I don't, like I think you said like the time for this is past. They're never going to make that money back, so they're they're not going to do it. Nope. Uh, so moving on a little bit to the uh, Amazon Echo, which we've been speaking a lot about the last couple weeks. Um, the Verge had an article uh, last night. I think it's rolling out uh, now. So if you don't have this yet in your uh, your iPhone app for the Echo, it may be there, you know, shortly, that you can now change the trigger word from blank to computer. And, uh, I mean, so, one, like, LOL Star Trek. Um, but I would fire this thing a billion times a day by mistake. Like, I don't know how many times during the day I say computer, and I work uh, by myself in an office. Like, I get that it's funny, but I, I, I would find it frustrating to switch to this. Yeah, it's um, a terrible, it's a terrible wake word. Yeah, it's a, I, I don't get it. It must be some, uh, must be funny, like a reference for people who have watched uh, Star Trek, I guess. Yes. I, I just, I don't get it. Why would you say computer? It's like a common use word. Yeah. I, I don't want my echo to go so, off because I say computer. So you can send all of your email to Federico about those comments. No, no I mean, I, 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 I'm just... It. Why are they adding this entire, but, like, but, thing to the, for a joke? Yeah, but like... But I, we don't need cute. We need stuff that works, not cute. I mean, you gotta 
Dogs are cute, not speakers. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, we're going to call it like, you know, I, I want uh, my wake word to be Fido, you know, something like that. <laughs> Just make me think of a dog or like Rover or something. No, that's cute. Yeah, like, I get it. I get it. But, but I think it would be better if it was cute and useful. I don't mm. think the word computer is a useful wake word for the Echo. Um, yeah. You know, maybe they should have looked somewhere else. I don't know. But maybe maybe just, we're just Star Trek haters, you know? I don't know. I'm I'm not a hater. I'm just a Star Trek non-person. It just mm. I never watch it. Mm-hmm. Like Star Trek is the one with a with a weird finger salute, right? Like the yep. the hand that they okay. made the emoji for. The the emoji, yes, that's from Star Trek, and yes. it's the one with the with the people with the pointy ears. <laughs> that's yep. Star Trek. Okay, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. Live long and do some stuff. I think is what. Yes, I say. Yep. yeah, I know that. I know that phrase. Yeah, that, that's all I know about Star Trek. <laughs> uh, Mike, are you going to bleep every time we say computer on the show? Yes, yes, every time. Now that is that's the new thing. So just in case, just in case. So Connector will be moving to a three times a year release schedule. <laughs> that's going to take forever. <laughs> Uh, we spend uh, a lot of time on this show talking about music streaming services. Um, I saw a news story yesterday, which was perplexing to me. Um, Sprint, the mobile carrier in the US, has bought a 33% share in Tidal. Who? Okay. <laughs> uh, they reportedly paid around $200 million for this. Jay-Z paid $56 million when he bought the entire company in 2015. So How is Jay- this more expensive now? So Jay-Z's done a good job of raising the valuation <laughs> oh, from $56 sure. million to $600 million. So good work. I mean, in case you actually don't know what Tidal is, Tidal is a music streaming service which is all about kind of like making sure that those hungry artists like Justin Timberlake get food on their table, right? Like they yeah. have this, mm. this... Do you remember that big event that they did? Well, yeah, like, this is super creepy. It was super strange, but anyway, they're, they're kind of about like making sure that people get paid, and, and they do like lossless and stuff like that. They believe in like the quality. You know, I'm, I'm being silly, but like this is their, their kind of thing. Um, and they've had some strange ways that they've gone about this by like talking about making sure artists get paid, but instead of featuring indie artists, they feature like the biggest pop stars in the world. Um, they've had a bunch of exclusives that are kind of linked in some way to Jay-Z, right? So, like, I think Beyonce's is some exclusives he has, and uh, I think Kanye's album was exclusive to Tidal for, like, 24 minutes uh, before the, mm. they released <laughs> it to the world. you got to be friends or, you know, related to Jay-Z in order yeah. to be on Tidal. Because that's it makes what you're sense, saying. right? Like, well, no, but that's how the exclusives are done, because he's doing those deals, right? And he gets the exclusives to Tidal that way. Anyway, so uh, there will now be Tidal exclusives that are only available if you're a Sprint customer. Like that is a oh. thing that they're doing. Nice. That's a, that's what it's uh, called a uh, net neutrality. I think. <laughs> yeah, that that's yeah, that's it. That's the that's perfect that example. Is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we should revisit the net neutrality conversation at some point because a bunch of that's going to change here. Yeah. But um, Let's see if you can try and explain it to us again. Uh, yeah. So Sprint is the. Uh, I mean, it's not the smallest, but of the big four, they're the smallest uh, carrier here. And Tidal is not very big. It just seems like, like, what's the point? I don't know. Yeah. I, I have it, I'm having a hard time getting excited about the story, Mike. Yeah, I know. Sprint will be putting around $75 million a year into a marketing fund that's intended to help Tidal secure more exclusives. It's, hmm. it's clearly a desperation move on both parts, um, but I don't think it's going to pay off. I don't think that, like... 
an exclusive for six months to Jay-Z's album is going to make people change phone carrier. Like, I just don't see yeah, right. that. Yeah, I, because, I mean, I get why Tidal is accepting the money. I just don't get how Sprint hopes to make a good investment here. Yeah. Because, I mean, sure, you got the album from Kanye West for, like, a month, let's say. Because I, I truly don't believe that Kanye West can keep an, a, you know, the new album exclusively to Tidal for more than a month, honestly. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, you hope that people will switch just to have a one-month window to listen to the album? I d- it does seem like a bad plan to yeah. me, honestly. I don't get yeah. it. I don't get it. And, and Sprint's so bad, you won't be able to actually stream your music most places uh, in the oh, US. Oh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> uh, and finally, just something that we didn't talk about last week because Federica wasn't here. You have a new contributor to Mac Stories. So um, last year, when... Um, it was announced that uh, Sal Sagoyan, uh, the previous uh, project lead of uh, user automation technologies at Apple, so the man who actually, you know, I don't want to say invented, but basically, you know, managed the entire Automator project, was in charge of Apple Script, uh, JavaScript for automation, and all of the other uh, power user automation stuff on macOS. He announced last year, in, I think in December, that he was leaving Apple. And as soon as I saw the announcement and I linked it on the on the website, I was just I remember I was just sitting in my in my living room and I told my girlfriend, hey, should I send an email to Saul and see, you know, if we can get him to to write something for Mac Stories? And of course she she said, Yeah, you should do it. So I sent an email and She's like, whatever, man. Just <laughs> she, she's always like, yeah, whatever, do what you want. I don't even know what you're talking about. But stop asking yeah, you me. Like, I don't know who this guy stop, is. Stop asking me about <laughs> workflows. I don't get it. So, I was really excited. I was really excited, but yeah. she, she she was not buying into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I sent an email and and he got back to me. And uh, you know, after a bit of back and forth, uh, he came up to me with a story idea, and we worked. Uh, actually, we did some work behind the scenes to make sure that the story could be uh, viewed on the website with the uh, the exact style that Saul uh, wanted. Um, so we made some technical changes to make this story happen. And a couple of weeks ago, we published it on Mac Stories, and it got way... Be- you know, the, the response was way beyond what I was imagining. And I, I get it, because um, what, what happened here is I got used to the idea of having Saul on Mac Stories for about a month. But everybody else didn't know. Yeah, uh, yeah. I actually kept a surprise from some of my team members because I wanted them to be surprised. Uh, so John knew, and I think um, my developer knew, of course. Um, but it, it is, you know, I'm very happy that this happened. We should have more stories from Sal going forward. I know that he's now collaborating also with the Omni Group. Uh, the Omni Group is about to share their annual uh, roadmap. And I know that automation is going to be uh, one of the key features of the Omni, Omni Group apps on iOS and macOS. You can actually check out uh, Ken Case on Twitter. He posted a brief uh, video of you know automation coming to OmniGraffle on iOS thanks to the input from Sol. So uh, it's great that you know Sol is now open to uh, share and you know uh, talk about things. And I think the story made a lot of sense. It was a story about uh, how user extensions are not a replacement for automation technologies. So if you haven't checked out the story yet, um, you know, Sal makes a lot of good points. You can read into those points whatever you want. It doesn't work for Apple anymore. It's free to talk about stuff. Uh, I think it's a, it, it's a very um, interesting angle to talk about when it comes to productivity on macOS and iOS. 
So yeah, go check it out. It's it's a deep article, but it's a fun one. Um, but more than anything, it's just kind of just it's just kind of cool, right? It's just kind of cool. <laughs> it is it is cool. Thank you. This week's episode is brought to you by Smile, and today I want to talk about the PDF Pen family of applications. With this suite of apps, you'll be able to take control and edit PDFs like a pro. Because you are a pro. Come on. Let's face it, you're a pro on all of your devices. PDF Pen is available for both macOS and iOS, where it also joins PDF Pen Scan Plus to complete that toolkit. PDF Pen for macOS is the ultimate PDF editing tool. It is your Swiss army knife for tackling PDFs. And now... It's been updated for those of you who have that fancy schmancy touch bar. Um, they, we now have some some lovely little uh, touch bar buttons for PDF Pen on macOS. So you can go and try that out and press all the colors and stuff to your heart's content. And PDF Pen for iPad and iPhone will give you that control that you're looking for with PDFs on your mobile devices as well. With all of these awesome tools at your disposal, you won't have to be in that cycle of like receiving a document, printing it out, signing it, scanning it, or faxing it. Like, you don't have to do any of that. You can embrace the paperless lifestyle. Someone will email you something. You can open the attachment in PDF Pen, either on iOS or on the Mac. Do what you need to do, which can include signing, uh, you know, adding text, adding graphics, or maybe even making corrections, and then you can just send it straight back to that person via email. This is the thing that I do all the time. And most, honestly, I mostly use PDF Pen on my iOS devices. And really, you know, I love signing things with my Apple Pencil. It's just kind of cool. You know, I got my Apple Pencil and I'm signing stuff. And, you know, I, I had a form that I had to fill out for somebody yesterday. And I just opened it up in PDF Pen and I just hand wrote all the things in there and sent it back. So, you know, because it can, it's even quicker, you know, like to just grab it, just grab my Apple Pencil. I just fill out the form by, you know, by hand and just send it back to them all via email. No scanning, no faxing needed. Really, really awesome. PDF Pen Scan Plus as well gives you the power of OCR when you're away from your desk or your scanner. It will allow you to scan receipts wherever you are, helping you stay on top of your finances. Uh, I think my accountant loves the fact that I use PDF Pen Scan Plus because there's no lost receipts. Think, to find out more about the PDF Pen family of applications, go to smilesoftware.com slash connected. Thank you so much to Smile for their support of this show and Real AFM. So let's talk a little bit about the the next iPhone. And I think there are two stories here and I want to try to keep them uh, separate a little bit, even though it gets a little messy. So the first one is the next iPhone is rumored to have a bunch of fantastic features that we'll get into. Oh, really? And the second story is that, you know, this is going to be the 10th anniversary of the iPhone. Does it carry any sort of anniversary branding? So I think there are separate conversations uh, to have. Over the weekend, a story broke about the the Touch ID. You know, for a long time, there have been rumors about the Touch ID being underneath the glass of the screen if the bezels go away. The big design rumor is that this iPhone is going to be the same screen size but in a smaller chassis, that the the bezels are going to be smaller uh, if if existent at all. Um, just like how Samsung has done with, th- with phones like the, the Edge where it's you know the same size screen as the iPhone but in a much smaller package. Uh, there's talk about it using uh, glass back with like steel bands again. It's kind of going back to the 4 and 4S curved glass. Lots of, of rumors that basically put this this next iPhone potentially like a big leap ahead of the design they've used for three years. So so that's kind of the background here that a lot of people expect this next phone to be a big departure design-wise. So there's a rumor about the Touch ID you know, it not being a physical button, being under the glass somehow. There's been some conversation even today about how that may work. Although in the same article, KGI says 
they're working on this, but they say it's unlikely to debut in this year's phone, so you got to take all this with a grain of salt. Yeah, Ming-Chi Kuo, um, who is kind of renowned for these these rumors, and has a, I think has a pretty solid record, but not perfect, but but solid, put out this um, this article over the weekend, where they put out a report, which is uh, reported on by a few different places, about this new type of uh, sensor, which is optical, as a, which is instead of capacitive, like the Touch ID sensors are now. And it is these optical sensors that can be like embedded in the LCDs and stuff, which would be needed if they want to get rid of the home button for the iPhone 8. But in that same article, depending on where you read it, like 9to5Mac writes it differently to Mac rumors, but 9to5Mac claims that the, the report says that this is only in early stages of development, so it would be unlikely that it could be in the iPhone 8, which is tricky. Um, they also talk about face detection as well, right? Mm-hmm. So some Android phones have had this where they use the front-facing camera to look at you and say, oh, you're Steven. Uh, I can let you into your phone. Um, I have not tried this on an Android phone, but I've heard very, very mixed things. Um, it seems, you know, like the, the Mac Rumors piece this weekend say that it would be like a, a two-factor deal, potentially. So you have to touch with your fingerprint and use face detection or a pin code, like some sort of second level uh, to log into your phone. But I just don't know. I just don't know if face detection is the is the the route that they should take. It seems a little gimmicky. And uh, is someone in the show notes, or I don't know who, so I'm stealing one of the two of you uh, idea that you know fingerprint sensors were around a long time before the iPhone, but Touch ID kind of made it commonplace and made it really fast. And so maybe Apple could do the same thing here. But I'm a little skeptical that face detection would be something that would be useful day-to-day. Yeah, I've tried it on Android phones, and I tend to not like it. It feels like a gimmick, um, and it's slow. But, you know, as you stole from me, Stephen, um, Apple made <laughs> fingerprints work, right? The fingerprint scanners existed on phones before the iPhone, but it was slow and clunky. But I I am very skeptical of Apple being able to improve kind of face detection technology to the point where I would want to do it over my finger. Like... I can unlock my iPhone no matter where my iPhone is in relation to my body. Right. Right. I don't know if I want to have to like show my face to my phone every time I want to unlock it. Um, also, like how, how well, then how do I unlock my phone when the light's off? I mean, I know that some of these have like infrared sensors on them, so it does it that way. Um, but I, I, there's just something I just don't, I just don't like about this. And I think the fingerprint stuff, it works. It works really well. I don't know if I would get that much of a kick out of it doing something with my face. Yeah, I could see Apple doing uh, some kind of iris scanner, not necessarily a face detection uh, technology, but something more advanced. Because I've tried face detection unlock on Android, and like Mike said, um, the first versions you could actually fool the system with a picture of the person you know in charge of unlocking the phone. But then you know. Uh, especially companies like Samsung, they got better at the face detection, so now you can no longer fool the system with the picture. You actually got to, you know, use a real person's face. But still, you know, what if you're not necessarily looking at the screen when you want to unlock the device? Um, I could see Apple why Apple might want to do some kind of iris scanner technology, uh, especially for two-factor on-device, which would be kind of neat, but I don't know how well it could work in practice. 
Yeah, Ming-Chi Kuo's um, report seems to hint that Apple are potentially planning to move to face detection only in the future. Like, that they consider it to be better than 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 fingerprint. I, I don't know. I, I mean, don't know I, about I, I, don't, I don't buy that. Uh, no, neither do how I. Can a, how can face detection be more accurate than the finger that you, you always have attached to your body? I mean, I mean, your face is always attached to your body. Yes, but you're not <laughs> touching the phone with your face. You're touching no, you the phone should. with your hands. That's what the face detection is. You just put your whole face on the mm. phone. We're it reading doesn't make it wrong. Any sense. It doesn't make any <laughs> sense. You're using a phone with your hands. Face ID. And you're interacting with... You're interacting with the phone with your fingers, not with your face. I mean, there's animals like Mike. They mm. touch things with their noses. nose. Yep. Nose ID. It's not the point. No, it's not happening, Mike. <laughs> what I'm saying is it doesn't make any sense to ditch the fingerprint, which is unique enough, and they have a good system in place mm-hmm. to what? Use a camera to store an image of your face? What if you have glasses while you're, you know... There's so many variables when it comes to the human face. Yep. It just seems better to use a fingerprint, which tends to stay, to stay consistent over time, unless you, you're like a criminal and you burn off your fingerprints, but that's another problem. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a complex thing, and the thing that I think about immediately is Apple Pay, right? That you know, my, my phone is out of a credit card reader, and I touch the Touch ID, like I can't be looking at my phone. There's lots of weirdness here, and... I mean, that's why it's rumors and it's early in the cycle. I mean, it's still January for crying out loud. It's like, we're early in this, but it's just interesting to talk about. Uh, the report goes on to say, and, and other reports have said this as well, that the 8 uh, will move to an OLED display that is potentially flexible. So, you know, the, the OLED display, the only OLED display Apple ships right now is the Apple Watch and then I guess more recently the Touch Bar. The phone would be the biggest OLED display they've done. There's a lot of benefits there, right? Like, especially if they have uh, Federico's um, a much desired night mode to have mm-hmm. black pixels on OLED display mm-hmm. are very easy on the battery because you're only lighting up things you actually need. So there'd be potential benefits here. Um, there's a story on iMore, I think, today about you know the way that uh, 3D Touch works now and they'd have to change that to use OLED display. That doesn't seem like a big deal to me. Uh, the phone would have a new structural design to support all of this. So I mean, it would be a big change, but it's, it's something that it seems like it seems almost inevitable. Like a lot of other manufacturers are doing this. Apple's already doing it on some devices. Yeah. OLED looks really nice, especially if you have a dark theme. I, I, I could see them doing this. I think OLED is probably the way forward eventually. Yep. The flexible display is not so your phone can like roll up and put it in your pocket. Like the flexibility is what allows for 3D touch. Um, right. So there there is a type of OLED screen that that can can be like manipulated in that way, right? Like it can be pushed and it can be prodded. Um, and that's how they would kind of make 3D touch work on these devices. And as Steven said, like the new structural design will support the fact that the screen's going to be moving, like physically moving, and even though like in minuscule uh, like directions, but that that's kind of how they make 3D touch work. Yeah. And uh, the, you know, I think that there's something to be said here. Like these rumors are all pointing towards something new. There's parts of these things saying uh, it's not going to be ready for this year. I mean, maybe this is a deal where it'll be, Stephen was right, <laughs> that we see a 7S that looks the same and this this phone is yet another year off. Uh, there's conversation the three of us have been having that I mentioned in my article the other day that, you know, the, the 7 being basically the same case design, like was that Apple bunting so they could get to this new phone that they needed a year that was simpler from industrial design perspective, you know, 
there's lots of new stuff in this phone, but they're you know they're not it's not a dramatic dramatic rethink, and that they decided to kind of take it easy this year so they could have more time to work on the eight. I mean, I don't that doesn't seem very much like Apple to me, but you never know. It'd be really interesting if that is the case, how that conversation went down internally. There's like there's it's all this stuff, and I feel like more than any phone before. Uh, this stuff is earlier and more varied as far as rumors. There is already talk about this phone that it's kind of all over the map. And a lot of people have these really interesting ideas of what it could be and what it could look like. Lots of rumors. It's kind of a unicorn phone at this point. That like We didn't even talk about wireless charging or some of the other stuff that could be in it. This phone, in some people's minds, is going to be drastically different and hopefully drastically mm-hmm. better. I just don't know. Like I just, I'm, and I'm not one to play like the game of like, oh, Apple has expectational debt. Like that's not my problem. Uh, but I do think it is interesting if we start seeing like controlled leaks from Apple toning mm-hmm. this down. Like we saw the the headphone jack thing yeah. was basically taken as fact. You know, starting I guess like in the spring or even summer leading up to the seven, and we all kind of went through our stages of grief over it by the time it came out. It was kind of like okay, this is just how it is, and and I accept the verge. Still. Yeah, yeah, Neil Patel, the drum, yeah, yeah, uh, burned himself at the stake over it. But <laughs> so, so you know, like I, I just wonder, like if we start seeing these these stories in like the Wall Street Journal and other places, are like, hey, uh, you know, it's the um, maybe some of the stuff isn't isn't accurate. Then then Apple may be trying to to combat this. So I just think we're going to be in a, in for a very interesting season of iPhone rumors. The problem really is that nobody knows anything and there's just different trends going on in terms of rumors, uh, you know, and it seems to me like at this point, everyone is just coming up with some new story. Uh, There's the people who believe in the anniversary theory. There's the people who say wireless charging. Some say you're going to have to place the phone on a surface. Others say, well, it's going to be actually energy flowing through space, which seems a little too futuristic to me. There's people who say, well, the cameras are going to get redesigned and it's going to be stacked vertically on the Plus model. Some other people say, you know, it's going to be an iPhone Pro, which is a totally new design, but they're going to do the 7S and they're also going to do the iPhone 8. It seems like to me nobody knows anything at this point and we're just coming up with stories every week. So I'm definitely waiting. Like you said, Steven, I'm definitely waiting for some, you know, uh, the, the, the classical uh, Washington, uh, the Wall Street Journal report. Uh, saying, according to people familiar with the matter, uh, the iF- the next iPhone is going to do you know X and Y. And we're going to know when the time comes, whether it's the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, or BuzzFeed, really. Uh, that's a very likely chance that you know someone from Apple trying to control the message. Yeah, and it's just, you know, every year we do this, it kind of starts sort of crazy and all over the place, and people just, yeah. you know, I have no doubt that some people have sources and other people don't, but things will begin to like coalesce around a story eventually. Yeah, there's a little more of an increased kind of like pent up demand here than in recent years, you know, because we've had the extra year. Um, so I think that there's just like a little bit more of like a feeling of what re- like really desiring at this big change. Um, I can't really get my head around like a lot of these parts like rumors and and where it ends up because it seems like the phone that everyone's expecting needs a technology that it seems like isn't ready which is this under the screen touch id so i don't know 
But um, let's talk about the other part. Let's talk about the marketing aspect. Let's talk about the anniversary phone, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 10 years of the iPhone is this, is this whole year, basically, right? So this, in theory, could be, Stephen put it at the top of this conversation, the anniversary phone. Um, is this something that Apple is likely to hang on to? Like, are we going to see, I'll ask you first, Stephen, 10th anniversary in the marketing, in the name, or anything like that? What do you think? I, I do not think it will be directly attached to the phone. So I don't think it's going to be in the name of the phone or on the packaging of the phone. I do think that it will get a mention on stage, and maybe even more than I mentioned, that there will be some sort of, of retrospective iPhones flying through space type deal like we saw with the MacBook Pro. I think Apple will will, will say something, will make some sort of deal about it during the event, mm-hmm. but I don't expect it to be attached to the phone in any meaningful way past that. That, you know, nerds who see the keynote will, you know, get a rise out of it, but that the general public going to buy an iPhone won't know that it's the, you know, the 10th anniversary phone in, in any way. Federico? I agree with Steven. I don't think we'll see any kind of branding related to the anniversary. I think we'll get a mention on stage, like uh, the evolution of the iPhone. It's been 10 years, but no branding on the phone, no, uh, you know, connection on the product website. Uh, I think it will be mentioned because, I mean, it's 10 years. It's kind of cool. But I don't see Apple doing, you know, iPhone 10 or iPhone special edition, iPhone, you know, anniversary, whatever. I think it will be mentioned, but that's about it. All right. Okay. Here we yeah. go. Huh? Here we go. Oh, so no. <laughs> I don't think this is going to get like, it's not going to be called like the iPhone X. The name of this phone will be whatever they call it. Um, I, I think that they might change the naming a little bit. Um, just to try and break them off the number. Uh, like, this would be the time to potentially do that. Like, and and it might be, you know, you know, like I spoke about the Pro or whatever, like they might just name the phones that way, right? Like iPhone Air and iPhone Pro. Or, I don't know. Like, there's a way to get it off, like, just the counting number, um, especially if they're going to move to this, like, different schedule of, of the way that new cases and hardware will be released. Like, in theory, this should be the 7S, right? But it, Will they call it that if it looks completely new? Will they call it the 8? So, so I think this might be a time that they break the naming. But I don't think it's going to be called like iPhone X or iPhone Special Edition. But I do think the entire marketing campaign will be based around the fact that it's the 10th iPhone. Um, if they completely change the hardware design, like I can really imagine an ad where the ad shows all the old iPhones and then shows what they've done now. Because if, if they go edge to edge... This will not look like an iPhone. The iPhones have had a similar look for their entire generation, right? That front with the chin and the forehead, right? Like that is an iPhone. Well, they're going to potentially change the way that it looks. And I can really imagine them making a big deal out of like, the we've taken everything we've learned over the last 10 years. And this is what we've come up with. So... That's what I think. I don't think I'm. I don't think it's wild what I'm speculating here, but this is just kind of my thinking on it. Like I, I think that they will make a big deal out of it because they can. Um, and honestly, I think I think they should. I mean, I know why people are like Apple doesn't look back. I mean, but they do though. But they do, right? Like there was this thirty year of Macintosh campaign. 
Um, they have, you know, this is not like wild to assume. But that- putting in a product name is different. Like you can have your thing on your website. I'm not saying that. I, you know, my, my my argument is around just how the marketing campaign looks and like yeah. how the ads look, mm. how they announce the thing. I think that they're going to push for that. And plus, it's like okay. This has probably been the most successful consumer electronic in history. If you're going to look back on anything, you might look back on the 10 years of the thing that changed the world. Uh, maybe it's going to be called the iPhone 8, but the 8 is flipped, so it's called iPhone Infinity. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a geni- I'm a genius. You're Give me money. Genius. Hire-, hire me. I'm going to be your branding consultant going forward. How much do you charge? Uh millions per hour that's my rate. wow okay anyway um i think there's a you know if you only if you're just saying uh, they're gonna do a heavy marketing campaign focused on the uh, the anniversary whatever i don't like the idea but if it happens i don't think it's completely crazy i don't like the fact that apple may be doing you know a slide with old iphones and then the new one because i feel like in advertising especially you got to promote the new. And I don't think, you know, what if Nintendo, you know, puts up a billboard and instead of just showing the Switch, it shows you a carousel of the Game Boy and the NES. People like me and you were going to love it, but do you really need to show old stuff to, you know, new people? So that's my problem. Isn't Nintendo's entire business model built on old stuff? But that's different. You don't show the old consoles next to the new one. Well, I mean, Apple has, has... In keynotes past, shown old iPhones, and they did the six and success. They had a, a slide of all the phones from the edge. Like it wouldn't be new, but I think I think the difference is if Mike's right and it's a marketing push, you're going to see that on billboards. Yeah, I I think it's a given that they're going to talk about it in the keynote. Like yeah, that that I think is just like a thing, right? Like they, I just think they're going to do that, right? If they don't mention like, oh, this is the tenth year of the iPhone in the keynote, then that'd be very strange to me. I'm taking a punt here, but I do think I, I, I think they're going to go that way. I mean, if I was in charge of this, that's what I would do. Um, you've got something that you can you can be proud of, and and the campaign shows that you know what you're doing, right? To new people, it's like we've been doing this for ten years, and look what we've done. And you know, mm-hmm. if they really want to show, like, if this phone doesn't look like any of the other iPhones that come before it. I feel like it could warrant that type of campaign, like to show the new direction, right? Like how an iPhone looks now is brand new. And it will add weight to the new design as well by showing everything that came before it. But we'll see. We'll see. I mean, it's also quite simple to just imagine that they're just going to show young people taking pictures of each other. Um, it, could, it could go either way, but, but I'm going to hang my hat on them creating a, a, a campaign based around the anniversary. What if they're going to do a campaign... That's like uh, the what's the what's the movie called uh, Boyhood? It's like they're following someone, <laughs> like like a kid who started using uh-huh. the iPhone ten years ago, and now the <laughs> kid is like a young parent and he's taking pictures of their kids. That would work you know? though, right? Like <laughs> it w- would work. <laughs> I mean, is it's it, basically my life. <laughs> is, is it called bo- Is it called Boyhood? Any, yeah, that the was the movie okay. that took like thirty years to make. Or yes, right? yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, look. Again, I would probably get a kick out of that campaign. It would probably make me cry, right? Like, it, you know, yeah. <laughs> like yes. I was that guy. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. But I'm hanging my hat on it for now. 
Okay. Today's show is brought to you as well by our friends at Blue Apron. Blue Apron is on a mission to make incredible home cooking accessible to everybody, to all of you, whilst also supporting a more sustainable food system. Uh, Blue Apron set the highest standards for their ingredients whilst building a community of home chefs. They have really high quality standards that they set for the suppliers that they use uh, from their, their, their fisheries to their farms to their ranches. They set really high quality standards because they believe that with fresh ingredients, not only are you supporting a sustainable food system, you're also getting incredible meals. Incredible meals that cost less than $10 per meal. Blue Apron delivers all of these uh, ingredients to you in these little pre-proportioned tubs and containers so you only get the ingredients you need to create f- to create meals that take less than 40 minutes to put together and you get a great step-by-step ingredient card like recipe card that you can follow along with you can customize all of your recipes based on your dietary preferences and choose the delivery option that fits the needs that you have there's no weekly commitment and blue apron delivers to 99 percent of the continental u.s you can get your deliveries when you want them blue apron are always setting new recipes as well. They have a culinary team who create all these new recipes. Nothing gets repeated within a year. You can cook recipes like sunchoke and egg noodle casserole with kale and gouda mornay sauce, creamy shrimp spaghetti with broccoli and mayo lemon, and pork chops and garlic piccata with scallion rice and spinach. All of this stuff sounds amazing. It's going to taste amazing. And you're also going to learn the skills that you need to become a better home chef. Trust me on that one. Check out this week's menu and get three meals for free with free shipping. Free food, everyone. Three meals for free with free shipping. Just go to blueapron.com slash connected. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. Visit blueapron.com slash connected today. And we thank Blue Apron for their support of this show. And Relay FM, Blue Apron, a better way to cook. You know, when you think about it, the dual camera on the the iPhone Plus kind of looks like the infinity symbol. I mean, you're, it could you're, fit you're in there. resting on this now, aren't you? Maybe, maybe it's been in front of us all the time. It's been it's been here all along. We're just looking at the iPhone Infinity right now. You just don't know. Anyway, I'm I'm done for now. All right, moving on from the iPhone Infinity, um, home automation. I would like to do a quick update, a rundown, as you may call it, with the two of you about the home automation equipment that you're using. I just bought my first Hue lights. Um, I've not okay. installed them yet. We're waiting on lamps to be delivered. Um, okay. I also have a couple of Wemos that currently aren't connected to anything. Um, I'm trying to get my head around like how and what I want to automate. Well, first you gotta plug them in, Mike. Well, yeah, I know, but I haven't I haven't worked <laughs> out like what it is that I want to plug into them, right? Like, okay. Okay. So because like there's one thing that I really want. I want to be able to like plug my Dyson fan in and have it on a timer. But like mm-hmm. when it comes on, it doesn't turn the fan on. You then have to use the remote to turn the fan on. So at that point, it's not useful, right? So like I'm trying to work out like what are the good things here for me to be automating. So I want to go through okay. a couple of different categories with you and see how you guys are using these things and what you're using them for. Uh, the first being lighting. So Federico, what lights do you have? I have a. Uh, starter kit of the Philips Hue lights, uh, which I bought two years ago, and I upgraded to the uh, version two of the Bridge with Siri integration last year. And I keep um, so w- what I've done is I have one uh, light bulb in the kitchen on a tall IKEA lamp. I have a second one um, in a smaller lamp by the by the front door, and I have the third one in a kind of in an IKEA ball-shaped lamp in the bedroom, which I usually turn uh, blue 
or red at night, which I, I find to be two colors that are soothing and they make me relax. Uh, the, mm, the light by the front door is also used to power uh, the Canary camera in the sense that uh, when I'm gone and I want to kind of, you know, make sure that I can watch uh, the front door better than the infrared, you know, camera of the Canary camera, um, I turn on the lights from outside of, my, you know, when I'm like in Viterbo, I turn on the light in by the front door so I can watch. And I leave it on for like, you know, a couple of hours, mm. then I turn it off again. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a way to, you know, it's a, it's a way to kind of show people that there's someone home, maybe. I, I don't think, you know, burglars are kind of up to date with the latest home automation stuff. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I turn on the lights when I'm not home. I check with the, with the camera. And, you know, the, the one in the kitchen, Mike, is also connected to uh, one of my two Logitech Pop buttons, which I know you want to talk about later, but still, I yeah. wanted to mention that. We'll come back to the Pop things, because I don't okay. even really understand what those things are. Stephen, what are you using? So, I'm, as far as lighting, I'm all Hue lights. So, I have a floor lamp with three like three individual lights on it. So I have a hue bulb in each of those. And then there'll be a picture in the show notes. It's still a little bit of a work in progress, but my like super heavy duty and like industrial rack that I put in my studio for the collection, I put a hue strip light on each shelf shining down so I can illuminate each shelf uh, and control them individually, which is really nice. And then I just picked up the other day, kind of on a whim, the hue bloom light which is kind of like sits on a table or something and it's like a it's basically like a hue light bulb but kind of in, in its own enclosure and i've been using that uh, in conjunction with the floor lamp to light stuff for videos like the backdrop you know being pink or blue or something just kind of be able to move around the office and, and put color where i need it uh i haven't really expanded past that uh, as far as as far as lighting i do have all these hooked up uh, with the Echo, of course, and I have them in the uh, Home Kit app, I guess, on iOS as well. So they're all in Control Center. Uh, but I, I very often, because I'm just out here, will just talk to the Echo and, and tell it to turn it on. Uh, I have learned that the Echo struggles a little bit if you put items into a group and the name is similar or the same to an individual light. So for instance, the the rack with the computers on it you know, it's like top shelf, middle shelf, bottom shelf is what I named the lights themselves. So if you uh. open the Hue app, that's how you control them. And calling that group, you know, shelf, uh, the Echo really struggles with that and doesn't really know what to do and will ask, you know, which light do you mean? And so I've changed that group name to, I think I call it collection. So I can say, you know, lady in the cylinder, turn on the the collection and it will it will turn all three of those lights on. And that just took a little kind of, trial and error to get that right. Um, so that's kind of a little pro tip if you're using the Echo. Name your groups and your devices separately, and it, it will it, it, it makes it simpler to use. Uh, but I've been really happy with the setup. I like that I can have some color in here. It's really nice on video. And, uh, and like Federico, I have uh, a canary in here. And like Federico, I have started leaving one of the, the hue lights on so mm -hmm. I can, I can kind of see out here at night. And, you know, around midnight or something, it turns off on its own. The, the Hue app, you can actually set timers yep, yep. on these. Did the same. So, yep. so when we're out of town, you know, I put that lamp in the front room and I have it kind of coming on and off 
throughout the evening, you know, so it looks like someone's someone's home. So Yep. Could you not like set up an IFTTT action to turn that light on when the canary arms? So I and I want to talk to Federico about this. I have really struggled getting my canary to work with IFTTT. Yeah. Still haven't tried myself. Actually. Do you use Do you use Wink? So I tried, and so I have many no. questions about Wink. It just seems like a third party service that can talk to all my home stuff, which I'm not yep. super down with. Uh, I need to just read more about them. Um, but even then, I had I had trouble. I have an account, and I had trouble connecting the canary to it. It it, it struggled to see it. So I need okay. to revisit that. Um, cause it would be nice to say, Hey, you know, lady in a cylinder arm the studio. And yeah, see, I turn- have that set up with mine. That's one thing that I have yeah. got working. I have wink set up that, um, I can, cause we gave, we gave, you know, I've said before we gave our, uh, canary, we call it buster. Mm-hmm. So I say like trigger arm buster and it arms mm-hmm. the canary. Which is which is cool. It's one of the only things that I have set up. But I just wonder <laughs> if like you could then have a like if the thing sets, could you turn on a light? I don't know. Yeah, but I I don't need to turn on the light if the canary is armed during the day and there's daylight. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. So so you know, there's always more you can do here. One thing I, I want to look at is, and we're going to get to this next, uh, looking at some smart plugs so I can turn dumb lamps into smart things mm-hmm. uh, that's definitely next for me because we have a couple lamps in the house that i don't want to spend the money to put a, a hue light bulb in and they don't really need it but all, when all i need is like simple on off control from the network so that's uh that's next for me and i haven't really done anything with that um Federico, i know you have a couple of them right no i actually have one uh, and i'm looking for uh, so here's my problem i have a wemo um it's called a Wemo switch. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, it's like a socket that you put in, you know, between the wall outlet and whatever you're connecting to it. And it's one of the first generations, uh, first generation one. It's kind of bulky, but it works. And it supports. Uh, it doesn't support HomeKit, but it supports Alexa. Um, my problem is that I'm looking for a second one, and ideally, I would like to have one that works with my Italian slash European. I don't know whatever the name is standard, and supports both HomeKit and Alexa. So simultaneously. Uh, integrate with Amazon and Apple, and I'm looking constantly every week. I'm looking yeah, on me too. Um, me too. I'm doing. I'm doing the exact same thing. Th- there are some in the US. Yes, but th- exactly. I haven't found any for the UK. Exactly. There's a. There's some in the US. I think one is called the iHome, maybe. Yeah. Uh, and I know the Belkin has a new one, which is smaller, and I think supports both Apple and Amazon. But I cannot find it in Italy. So you know. Should I buy the US one, then buy an adapter? So basically, I end up with like three things in my wall outlet. I don't really want to do that, you know. <laughs> Defeats the whole point. So I'm just waiting for the second one. I want to just come back to something about the lights real quick. Um, and then we can talk a bit more about some of the, the smart sockets. Uh, I had like toyed with the idea of maybe putting like a hue bulb in the office, like in the actual light in the office and a hue bulb in the bedroom. Then I realized that like you have to have the switches on all the time, right? Yes. Which I didn't. Yeah. It didn't really consider to me because you have to have the light switch on so the power running to the hue bulb, so you're able to to turn it on and off, and that was a bit. That was a shame. Um, and I wondered, like, I assume then you guys don't. Do, do you have any uh, hue bulbs that are in regular light sockets? No. No. Hmm. No. So I've been I've been looking around like and there are a couple of things that you can do like um, Hue sell a, a wall switch like a dimmer switch which you can buy and you yeah. just you you basically just take off your existing one put this one over the top um, 
or something that I'd seen people do, which I thought was quite smart, is to put like uh, child safety s- protection shields oh, over yeah, the, yeah. the switches. That's an idea. That's so an idea. I think we're going to do one of this for the bedroom, but just because like, you know, you have like the bedroom light on and you don't want to get out of bed to go turn the light off. Um, mm. So I'm looking at one of these things to maybe put into the, into the bedroom socket, um, but we haven't worked out what yet. I want to see if... Because we're about to get a lamp, right, for the bedroom. And I wonder if we're just going to always just have the lamp on as opposed to the main light anyway. Um, we haven't seen yet. But I, I thought that, that, yeah, I was look, kind of just digging around um, and found that solution about putting like child safety type things over the switches mm-hmm. so they can't be turned on and off. I thought it was quite smart. Yeah, it's a good idea. Um, you're going to like what I do with the with the Wemo switch. Um, so usually it is connected to my espresso, espresso machine. Uh-huh. Uh, so... And I, I can say to Alexa, turn on the coffee maker because I called the accessory in the Alexa app. I renamed it as coffee maker. So I can say, turn on the coffee maker and the, the, the machine turns on and I can brew an espresso in like two minutes. Or when I'm gone, what, I, what I've done, for example, the past week, I've been away um, in Barcelona and my apartment has a humidity problem especially in the in the you know in one area of the apartment so we need to turn on a dehumidifier so to t- turn down the humidity levels so what i've done is i've taken the wemo switch and plugged the the thing you know with the this air kind of unit that does a bunch of things can also dry your clothes by the way it's got a multiple functions so i connected <laughs> it to the wemo switch and i left it on so you know with the air going, then I turned it off with a lambda. Then what I've done is, because the thing was on when the when the power was cut to the Wemo, when I was in Barcelona, I opened Astra, so the Alexa client on my iPhone, and I said, turn on the coffee maker. I didn't change the name, but basically the hot air went off in my apartment. So when we came back, the humidity levels were okay, because I turned on the, you know, the thing uh, multiple times a day for five days. That's home automation right there. That's, that's <laughs> the dream, right? Like <laughs> yeah. to, to be able to control these things when you're like hundreds yeah. and thousands of miles yeah. away or whatever. I came back to, you know, 50% humidity, perfect for me. And I was really happy. And so that's why I'm considering a second switch because I don't want to move it, you know, between the kitchen and the, you know, the, the hall where we're putting this... Uh, humidity thing. I don't know what's the name actually. Dehumidifier. Dehumidifier. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, so I want to buy a second switch for that. If you considered getting any sensors, you could probably get a humidity sensor, right? I have sensors for that. Actually, I have I have a couple. I have one in the bedroom, and I have another one outside, so I can correlate, you know, the humidity outside and the humidity inside, so I can see what I should do. It's a bunch of Elgato Eve sensors. Uh, I'm really happy with them. And they can't turn the thing on for you? Uh, no, because the Wemo is not HomeKit. So I cannot set up a trigger. And it can't be done with IFTTT either? No, because they don't have a channel. <sighs> this is so yeah. annoying, isn't it? Yeah, I know. I it's know. like I have all this stuff. And like it, it, if I can just get it to talk to each other, it's perfect. right? Because that's what yeah. you want. You have a humidity sensor and you have a dehumidifier. Right, though they are they are made for each other, right? Like you want that to talk to that, and then it can just come on on its own. Yeah, I know, I know. 
uh, you know, eventually we'll we'll get there. I I think honestly the main problem is getting a switch that supports both Alexa and you know uh, HomeKit uh, with triggers and groups. That'd be ideal. Uh, but again, I've been looking for like a year at this point, and still nothing. I mean, there's a new HomeKit plug again from Elgato on Amazon Italy. It's called the Elgato Eve Energy, but it only supports HomeKit, no Alexa. Computers. So yeah, no go for me. I want, i tell you something that I want. I want a motion sensor in my bathroom to turn the light on in the bathroom, right? Have, you, have either of you looked into motion sensors at all? I think like Samsung, like the smart things. No, I don't like the idea. Works. Why don't you like it? Because I feel like, I don't know, I want to be in control. And <laughs> you are I with feel, your body. Yeah, uh, but I, 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 I don't like, you know, like, I don't, I've never been into it, actually. Either the light is on or is off. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't need to, to be on when I walk. I don't know. There is a Philips Hue motion sensor. So if it hooks up to the bridge and you could say, hey, when the sensor goes off, turn a light on, which I've thought about putting in our front room and putting Hue lights in there. So like if you walk into the house, the lights come on, which would be really nice if you have kids and groceries and stuff. Uh, I just haven't done it yet. Um, there are a couple others uh, looking around. I think uh, Elgato makes one that works with HomeKit, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, I want to. I want to try that. That, that. That's one of the things that I think I would quite like. But yeah, we'll see. Um, last thing I want to ask you, Federico, uh, is about these pop things, these mm-hmm. Logi pop thingamajigs. Okay. What what yeah. what, are, what are they? They are physical buttons that you stick on any surface you want, and from the app you can connect to a list of built-in accessories. So there's like hue lights probably some cameras, or you can just connect into uh, IFT. And you can, basically what you can do, yes, is you have three activation modes. You can tap the button once, you can double tap it, or you can tap and hold it. And when you actually physically press the button, stuff happens. So I have one in, uh, on my nightstand. It's actually, you know, I, I, I used, uh, there's a, sticky surface on the back of the button. So I placed it and pressed really hard to place it on my nightstand. Um, and then when I press it once, turns the bedroom light blue. When I press it twice, it's kind of clever because I do this in the morning every time, uh, double tap and it turns on the coffee maker in the kitchen. <laughs> First thing everything, when I wake up... Everything in your home si- revolves around the coffee maker. <laughs> of course. If Sylvia is not making me coffee in the morning because, you know, she, she had to go out, I just uh, wake up, I roll over and double tap and my coffee is about to, is about to, to be prepared, which is awesome. And I have another one. I have another one in the kitchen, uh, but it's only connected to lights and different right. um, light colors. Yeah. yeah it's kind of cool. I, I, I like it because you can assign different things to it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I might look at this. I mean, I'm I kind of at the start of this process, really, which is why I wanted to kind of get a uh, check-in from you guys. Cause I know you've been looking at this stuff for a long time and kind of just see where you're settling on. And the thing, the, the overriding thing that continues to frustrate me is that there's just all this stuff and it doesn't talk to each other in the way that you'd want. Um, and I think it's this is going to be that way for a while. I can see why nerds like this stuff because there are, like, problems to solve, you know? Like, yeah. you have some stuff and you have an outcome that you are desiring and then yeah. it's like the steps that you take to get to that outcome. That's why I'm I'm kind of like I'm having all of these ideas before I have any hardware. Right. Like I'm like, oh I could try yeah. this. It's like, well, do you even know it's, if such a thing even exists? It's um, probably best to you know, your approach. 
uh, because you've seen what you know other people, including me and Steven, what we have done. Yeah. And you know that you can go crazy down the rabbit hole if you just keep buying things. I think if you come up with a plan first, and if you try to be reasonable and practical, like I want to have lights, I want to have sensors, yep. I think it's a better approach because you know that otherwise you're just going to waste your money yeah. buying things to find the purpose later. Instead, you're coming up with a plan, and I think it's more reasonable, you know, your approach. Thank you. This week's episode is also brought to you by Squarespace. Enter the offer code WORLD at checkout, and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create that website for the idea that you have burning in the back of your brain. With a unique domain, award-winning templates and more, they are the place that you need to put your ideas out there. Maybe you're looking to create an online store to sell that thing that you've been working on, to start your little side business. You know, you want to maybe sell some digital artwork that you've been creating, or maybe you've been making some cool, co- like maybe you're making iPhone socks. Maybe that's like, you know, you've decided you want to be the creator of the iPhone sock. Well, you could sell them on Squarespace. Maybe you have some artwork that you want to show off in a portfolio. You could do that. Maybe you have a band and you want to show off your music to the world and maybe you want to sell it. You can do that. Maybe you want to start a blog. doesn't matter what you want to do. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you take care of it. It lets you do just that. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. Squarespace takes care of everything. And they also take care of you with their 24-7 customer support. If you need help with anything on Squarespace, they are there to assist you. Squarespace lets you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name as well. And all of their award-winning templates are designed beautifully and they work on every size of device to show off your great ideas. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month. You can start a trial today with no credit card required. Just go to squarespace.com. And then when you sign up for a plan, uh, use the offer code WORLD, W-O-R-L-D at checkout. You'll get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for this show. Thank you to Squarespace for sponsoring this week's episode of Connected. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. All right, so uh, Stephen... Can you talk to me mm-hmm. about sleep tracking? Yeah, so this is something that I've I have revisited. Um, during the break, I picked up a Series 2 Apple Watch. I think all three of us now are, are wearing one. And part of the deal with this watch is the battery life is just unbelievable. So I decided, you know, hey, it's a good time to kind of re revisit sleep tracking. I, I did it uh, when Sleep Plus Plus first came out, which is an app by uh, underscore David Smith that I've I've used on and off. And so the last, I don't know, week or so, week and a half, I've been wearing my watch to bed, which has taken a lot of getting used to. I really don't care for the feeling of it while I sleep, but uh, that is what it is. And, you know, you go to sleep, you tap the button, you wake up, you tap the button again, and it tells you, you know, your restlessness and all that sort of stuff, saves it to health kit. And, you know, I, I have, I don't know if I've learned much. I learned that I don't sleep very well. I think I already knew that. Um but it's it's nice to kind of have like quantitative data around it. Um, and I know Federico, you've been doing this as well, and and yeah. I've only really ever tried Sleep Plus Plus. But uh, what are you using? I use uh, Auto Sleep by David Walsh. It's a uh, the thing for me about sleep tracking is that I know a hundred percent I'm gonna forget if it's a manual activation. I will eventually forget. So I need an automatic sleep tracker. And I talked about this, I think, when I very briefly tried the Fitbit. One of the best features is you put it on and it figures out when you started sleeping on its own. And AutoSleep brings that kind of functionality, automatic sleep tracking, to the Apple Watch. And Mm -hmm. got a first release where a bunch of issues. uh, The app was updated to version 2 last week, I think. 
and the developer fixed a lot of you know the complaints that I had in the in my original review. Uh, and you know it does get the job done. Uh, it's not perfect to the minute, but what is really when it's automatic and it's a piece of software that needs to figure out when you start sleeping. I don't care if instead of you know four. Uh, 13 in the morning, it says I went to sleep at 4 or 9. You know, it's no big deal. It gives me an accurate enough, reasonable representation of my sleep times, which is all I need. Hmm. I'm looking at the screenshots. This app seems really complicated. That's my ongoing frustration with this app. Um, I think the developer needs to seriously take a look at the design of the not necessarily the configuration screen because that got better with version 2 but the editing mode i think it needs to be cleaned up a lot and it uh, and it's one of those apps that you can tell a developer designed it and i don't mean this in a in a super pejorative way i'm just saying it, it's easy for developer and uh, we actually do this mistake many times on Mac stories as well it's easy for developer to design something in a way that is um that, that they think it makes sense for a similar audience. But the problem is, regular people are not developers, and you know that's when you need to have a designer come in and say, look, you gotta, you gotta rethink this whole, this whole structure. Like that, because in that places, circle thing that's supposed to show, I assume, you're sleeping, that looks like a nightmare to me. Like, there's different colors, they're in different shades, yeah. They they're don't too small. Yeah, yeah, I, I, but, I really think that this app is 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 suffering uh, from something here. It is, but the data is excellent. So that's that's my thing. Uh, I do, I still think it's too difficult to use. I still think it needs to be uh, rethought visually. But the data and the functionality, once you set it up, and you, I mean, I forget about the app because it works on its own. I don't want to look at the app, but I also don't have to. So, you know, I'm hoping that it will it will get a new design in, in a next update. Oh, what do you do you guys feel like you're getting data from this that is useful? Mm. Yeah, I think so. Why? Um because I'm I'm so I have everything uh goes into gyroscope, which is this excellent service and dashboard that aggregates a bunch of data. It's it's one of those uh, quantified self type of products that gives you a dashboard for your life. And I'm making an effort to sleep more and to sleep between six and a half and seven hours each night, Um, which if you know me, you know, it's actually a big deal for me because I tend, you know, there were times when I was sleeping four or five hours each night. And if you do that, you know, continuously, you're going to die, basically. Um, so I want to be more, you know, I want to, to, I'm committed to sleeping between six and seven hours at least. And in gyroscope, since I, I, I started following this, you know, this objective of mine, I can see for the past month, I've done six and a half hours on average. And that's very useful to me because it gives me motivation and it tells me that I still got to improve. And it lets me visualize a bunch of cool things like on the weekends, I tend to sleep a little more during the weekdays and especially on Wednesdays and Thursdays when I'm working more and I'm putting in more work for Mac stories and Club Mac stories, I tend to sleep a little less. So it is useful for me to be able to visualize this data. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm mostly doing it as a curiosity. I wanted to kind of confirm what I thought about my sleep patterns is that I get pretty good time in bed 
but the quality of that sleep isn't always super great. And I, I don't really know where to go from there, but uh, right now it's sort of sort of the, the exploration phase. I, I, just, I do find it fascinating that the watch, the Series 2 in particular, is so good at it because of the battery life. And uh, David Smith, guy who writes Sleep++, actually wrote a blog post saying that his app, it feels like his app and, and things like Autosleep will be Sherlocked, that it's kind of inevitable that Apple is working on something like this because the Series 2 battery life is so good. And you look at Fitbit and these other trackers do this and the watch, you know, up to this point hasn't, that of course Apple is, is you know, working towards this, which I, I find a really interesting attitude towards software development. Yeah, I really like this post. Um, we'll put it in the show notes. Like, he kind of just, you know, it's like the idea of it being inevitably Sherlocked. Like, and and I like the way that, that Dave is kind of thinking about his application yeah. and what it's good for in in planning out his roadmap. Like, because, you know, he, he highlights that sleep tracking is one of the last kind of things around health that Apple isn't tracking with the Apple Watch, but they could. So is it like, are they waiting for new software? Are they waiting for another watch? Maybe even better battery life? Not sure, but there is there is something, right? Like there is a, maybe like a, a, a train that you can see them going Especially down when, here. I think it's very reasonable to expect that Apple is going to do automatic sleep tracking eventually. Especially when you consider that Apple could use private APIs to monitor, uh, you know, uh, with sensors for, like heart rate sensor, for example to monitor data in the background without consuming too much battery life, which is something that develop, you know, third-party developers wouldn't be able to do. And sleep tracking, I feel like, it could be a headline feature of watchOS 4 on the, on the, but only for the Series 2 because of the exceptional battery life that Steven mentioned. And it seems to me like it's one of those features that would be interesting enough for enough people to have people commit technologies to make it happen. And I wouldn't be surprised. If, and, I, and I think David is really smart in saying, I know I'm going to be Sherlocked eventually. So what I need to focus on is presenting data, whether it's being captured by my app or it's being captured by Apple. I know that people don't want to use the Apple uh, health application. So I need to make sure that I'm, besides capturing data, my app is also a better dashboard than Apple's, which I think is really clever. But it doesn't surprise me because David is a genius. So... He's yeah. very he's very smart, so of course he's gonna think of that. But yeah. it does make sense, right, that like that data is gonna go into health. So it's just about you know, because you can assume that like with a lot of the stuff that Apple does, like their version is the basic version, right? It is the version for everyone. So they're maybe not gonna go like next level with the charts, right? And like mm-hmm. really go into detail about showing you these graphs of everything. Like it's just going to be, I assume, people quite simple stuff where it's like, hey, you know, this is how you slept last night. Maybe you should go, you know, like, and maybe advancing that bedtime thing where it's like, you know, we know. Uh, I I hate that bedtime thing, by the way. <laughs> oh no, I never, I never use it. Uh, like I don't oh, get it. Adina uses it, right? Because she likes the alarms. She, she finds yeah, the alarms yeah. nicer. I know Jeremy does too. Bird, uh, he loves the sounds. So. But the idea of my phone saying to me, hey. You should yes. go to bed now. Like, it how shames you, you into adult. sleeping. <laughs> it's a feature that shames you into sleeping. And it's like, hey, by the way, you should go to bed. It's 3 a.m. Yes, I know that. Stop watching Parks and Recreation. Just go to bed. I've been working all day. Now let me play some PlayStation. It's like, what's wrong with you? It's stupid exactly. fun. 
but but yeah, I can imagine like the sleep tracking being a a move from that. But I I find I find the Apple Watch too big for me to want to sleep with. And also too- a problem I have, I you know I set up like a new Do Not Disturb timer for it because it will just keep like bumping me in the night. You know, like it's with things happening, so that's going to be like. That. Do you guys put your watches on Do Not Disturb? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it's silent and Do Not Disturb. Okay, and you because I, I don't think you guys run it like me, so I guess you just have it mirror your phone, right? Yes. Yeah. See, because I have mine on those independent things. Yeah, I never, I never really understood what you do with the notifications, but I know it works for you. But I don't do that. Oh, yes, yeah, I have that all set to be all set up separately as well. <laughs> the thing about sleep tracking, though, for me, is mm. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with the information that it gives me. <laughs> do you feel like you sleep enough? No. Okay. But I know that already because I'm, you know, I know that I go to bed. Do you want to get better? Yeah. Okay. But I don't know why a sleep tracker is going to help me do that. Like, I already know this information. What it's going to do is just write down on a piece of paper, like, you know. Uh, it's one of those things like if you need to if you're a visual person and if you try and if you start doing something like when I started exercising I knew I needed to exercise every day but I still made a to-do in my task manager because I needed to be able to see it and to see my progress and to go in there every day and check it off and mark it as done. Uh, I think if you're a visual person and you know you need to do something you know to you need to make a change, but you want to be able to visualize it, to see it with your eyes, because it's one thing to know it, and at least for me, it's another thing to do it and to see the progress. I've always been that kind of person. I need to see progress, so any kind of tracker, any kind of you know visualization, visualization works for me. I don't know. Maybe mm. it doesn't work for you. It's fine. Now, it it might do right, but but my it's just my okay. So I'm time tracking now, right? Like I've started time tracking. Yeah, exactly. Yes, but I can do something about that. Like I can change the way that I work. Like I don't know how much. Like if I can't sleep, oh, I don't. I don't know. Like I just, I just feel like I have less control over it. Maybe that's just because I don't know the the information. I feel like you need to understand the, what the problem is. If you can't sleep or if you're just sleeping less because you're doing something else before sleeping, like playing mm. video games or reading or watching TV, whatever. But I like doing those things. I know, and I like it too, but it's just I know I need to set limits because I'm going to regret it when I'm 40 because I haven't slept mm. when I was 20, you know? That kind of so thing. Here's my problem, right? I like to sleep. I don't like to go to sleep. Oh, that's a very peculiar predicament that you're in. Yeah. How how you don't like going to sleep? Like no. is like the action of putting on pajamas? Uh, no, I'm fine with pajamas. I'm wearing pajamas <laughs> right now. Uh I, my the issue that I have is like the <laughs> like stopping. the whole procedure. Like it's, the no, whole... it's the stopping of being awake. I like the things that I do when I'm awake. And it's like, you know, like uh, putting yeah. everything down and going to sleep. I don't like to do that. I like to go to sleep when I can't stay awake anymore. And that's mm. my problem. Mm. Well, you maybe maybe what you're looking for is a way to make little changes to your life in a way that you can maybe wake up earlier, I don't know, but still do the things that you like to do when you're awake and make it so that by the time you've done enough of those things, like you've played enough video games, you start falling asleep. And maybe it's all a matter of waking up at different times or, you know, sleeping an hour more or maybe sleeping half an hour more, I don't know. 
But maybe what you need to achieve is time everything so that you have the best of both worlds. You get enough sleep and you also do the things you like to do. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. I mean, I mean, yeah. I and I assume using something like that gyroscope thing can help because you can maybe pull together a few different things. Like you know, like if I sleep better on the days that I walk fifteen thousand steps, right? It's like, oh, there's a thing. You know, like I can see how <laughs> tying it into other like sources could be interesting. But I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll go down this route eventually. But really, I don't want to be doing it wearing the app, my Apple Watch. Like it feels too, I don't know. It just feels too big, too chunky. Maybe there's something else for me there. I don't know. I know there are a bunch of iPhone apps you can use, but then you kind of have to like put them on the pillow. Um, that doesn't really feel to me like a like a really good thing that I want to wear all of the time. That works. Is it because of the light from the screen? No, it's just I don't know. Like when I'm, whenever I have slept, like fallen asleep, and I have my watch on. I kind of find it uncomfortable. Like I'll wake up and I'll feel it and it doesn't feel right, but it might just be because I'm not used to it. Mm. Like I have and used to sleep with analog watches on. So maybe I just need to get used to the, to, to this one. But I mean, you know, like frankly, this watch is bigger and bulkier than some of the analog watches mm-hmm. that I've worn in the past. Um, not all, but some. So maybe it's just a case of just getting used to it. Like, you know, whenever you start wearing a watch for the first time, you have to get used to that. It might just be the same kind of thing for me with sleeping. Um, maybe I should just try it and then just see see what I think about it um, and move on from there. I don't know. So the battery life is definitely good enough. You know, yeah, you yeah. just throw it on the charger for like 15 minutes or whatever. Like when I wake yeah. up, like just pop it off, put it on the charger, catch up my email, get out of bed, and it's all ready to go for the day. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I should try it. Who knows? All right. I think that's the end of this week's show. Uh, thanks again to our sponsor for supporting us, the fine folk over at Squarespace, Smile and Blue Apron. Um, if you want to find Federico online, he is at Vitici on Twitter, V-I-T-I-C-C-I, um, and he writes over at Mac Stories, and you can find uh, MacStories.net, I should say. You can find Stephen. He's at ISMH, and he's at 512pixels.net, and I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next time. You can find our show notes today at relay.fm slash connecting slash 126. Until then, say goodbye, everybody. Adios. Adios.